Hello, my friends. I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Pastor Christopher Allen at home in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And um, we are talking about the subject of um, God's grace and man's faith. It's actually two subjects. We are talking about the subject of grace. And then we are going to talk about the subject of faith. But I find that in the Bible, the two are very closely tied together. They're interwoven with one another. And you can't really separate the, the two in, in two distinct elements. Because if you talk about grace without faith, then, you know, grace has often been reduced to, um, you know, that we are under grace, we are forgiven, so we can live as we like. There's no constraints on us. And that's not grace because grace is enablement, it's empowerment. There's a mercy element of grace when grace gives us unmerited mercy and favor. And through that, God has forgiven us all our sins and we are no longer under the law of Moses in the sense that we don't have to uh, uh, fulfill the, uh, the precepts of the law of Moses in order to be pleasing to God. That's called legalism. But because we are under grace, that means that Jesus Christ has taken our place upon the cross and, and borne our sins and our diseases when he was crucified, when he died. And because we are in Christ, our lives are hidden in Christ because of our faith in him, we are forgiven. Now, that's the mercy elements of grace. But then comes the other elements of grace, and that is empowerment and ability to uh, to walk with God. That's a grace and grace for uh, for living and grace for living holy and grace for ministry. And we, we're going to talk all about all those things later on. And then on, and then comes faith because grace is God's part and faith is man's part. So we're going to put those two together. Then we're going to talk about faith, the importance of faith, how we acquire faith and the power of faith, etc., etc. So we're going to talk about all those things. And uh, but before I go on, I want to share a testimony. And this is from a crusade we did in Iringa in Tanzania. I mean, Iringa is very, Iringa in Tanzania is very far from our base in Zimbabwe. And I believe my guys, they traveled, they drove four hour, four days with our truck and our smaller vehicles to get to Iringa. And I arrived there and uh, I mean, they had, they had chosen a very bad place. The local pastors had recommended a place for them that's kind of outside the town. So this, the crusade was a real struggle. But, and so I was kind of, you know, struggling within myself that we had come from so far and the crusade had been such a struggle. But one night we had a fantastic miracles. There was a, a Maasai tribesman who showed up and these guys are very tall and lanky and skinny and they wear the tribal clothes. Uh, you will never see, well, you might, but I have never seen a Maasai wear ordinary Western clothes. Like many Africans wear regular Western clothes. But this guy wore his tribal garb and he came to the crusade and he had only one eye. The other eye was an empty socket. And, and the Lord touched him when he was in the crowd and he came up and testified. He said, Pastor, I had only one eye and now look at this eye. This eye is brand new. It wasn't there. And the whole crowd rejoiced. And soon after him, there was a little girl who came up and testified and she, her parents told her that she had, had never walked before and she was walking and running and these two miracles really opened the door for us and, and more and more people began to come. So we, you know, uh, miracles open the door for the gospel. Hallelujah. Anyway, this is a wonderful little testimony uh, I just want to share with you. Now, 
Another thing I, I, I must hasten to add, because I should have said this before, but I didn't really get into it, and about our, because you see, as, as I mentioned to you, uh, we are no longer, uh, or, or let's put it this way, we do not attain acceptance by God by keeping the law of Moses, but we are accepted, accepted by God because our faith in the finished work, in the sacrifice made of Jesus Christ, because he fulfilled the law and he upon the cross bore our sins and diseases. And so he has pleased God. And because his, what he did upon the cross is pleasing to God and he paid the price for our transgressions and our sins. So what happens is we, uh, we have been accepted by God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But you know, many people, so in, it's right, it's correct to say that we are no longer beholden to keep the precepts and the laws of Moses in order to be saved. But that doesn't make the law obsolete in the sense that it is, uh, it doesn't, you know, it's, it's total, how should I put it? We cannot rubbish the law because of that, as some people tend to do. Because even though the law, keeping the law is no longer our means of salvation, the law of Moses is still the word of God. It is still holy. It is still of God. Although our salvation doesn't come to the law, through the law, but uh, neither do we keep the law in order to be pleasing to God after we are saved. But the law still shows us the righteousness and the holiness of God. It is still like a beacon of light, uh, like a lighthouse on a, on a stormy shore for ships that are in the ocean. So, you know, anytime you have any issues uh, without uh, whether something is right or not. Uh, so what, uh, you, you know, and, and, and you say, well, Jesus never said about this. So what do we do? We go to the law of Moses and uh, because, you know, there's a lot of sexual perversions, other per perversions in the world today. And uh, one pastor was uh, uh, in New York City. He's kind of, you know, he's supposed to be cool, a great pastor, got a big church. He was asked, and I saw this interview myself. He was asked, well, what do you think of this, you know, a certain uh, sexual perversion? And you know what he said? He said, well, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, did Jesus say anything about it? No, he didn't. So if Jesus didn't say anything about it, why should I say it? Well, you know where his mistake was? Well, he was right that Jesus never said about it. But Jesus, he upheld the law. He said so himself. He said, I uphold the law. So if Jesus upheld the law, that means that everything that is in the law of Moses, even though it's no longer a means of salvation, it is still legitimate today. So whenever there's an issue, a moral issue, anything that you uh, you cannot find in the New Testament, uh, you go to the Old Testament because you see the character and the nature of God has never changed. And if God says it's wrong, it's wrong. So uh, you can't just say because it's, in, it's not in the fourth gospel. So I guess it's okay just because Jesus didn't address it. Jesus didn't address it. Yes, but that kind of special per sexual perversion he did. It is a sin under the old covenant. It, it is a sin in the law of Moses. And because Jesus upheld the law of Moses, although our salvation no longer comes by K, 
keeping the law of Moses because Jesus upheld the law of Moses. So the law of Moses is a reference point to what is holy and what is impure. And uh, it tells us something about the character of God and the holies of God. So it is wrong to totally rubbish the law of Moses and say, well, it's obsolete. It has nothing to do with us. It does play that passive role in our life that it does not save us, neither does it make us holy. What saves us is our faith in the blood of Jesus. And what makes us holy and sanctifies us is the work of the word of God in our lives and the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. As we yield to the word, yield to the Holy Spirit, that makes us holy and sanctified. But we still honor the law of God because it is God's word and it is holy because it is the law of God. So it's very important. It's, you know, I'm talking about from the viewpoint of Christian maturity. It is very important for us as Christians not to be immature and say, we learned the grace where so this the law. You cannot do that. You have to understand the intricacies of uh, what connection the law has with us and what connection it does not have with us. Yeah, it's no longer a means of salvation, but it's still the word of God. It's still holy. It is still a reference point. Amen. So anyway, that being said, now I'm going to talk about in this session, I'm going to talk about dead to the law and living to God. We are dead to the law and we're living to God. Now, where do I get that? That catch word or that phrase? It's in Galatians 2.19, where Paul said, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. So I died to the law so that I might live to God. When Jesus was crucified, when he died upon the cross, he died to the law. So I died with him. When he rose again, I rose again with him. That's my identification with Christ. Why? So that I may live for God. So I can live for God by being dead to the law. Galatians 2.20 and uh, it says going onwards, it says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. That's what it means to be saved, that I am crucified with Christ. He died on the cross, so I died with him. But now it is Jesus who lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh or in this body. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. So uh, Paul makes a total separation, uh, you know, when it comes to the, he's writing to the Galatian, uh, to the Jewish Christians in Galatia, because they had these Judaizers who were trying to get them back, you know, uh, under the law. But he's saying that righteousness doesn't come through the law. It comes through the grace of God. So I do not nullify the grace of God. That means if I go after the law, I will nullify the grace of God. Galatians 3 verses 1 to 3. Uh, Paul says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you or who has enthralled you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? He says, before you, we presented to you Christ crucified that Jesus died for your sins and through him you're made righteous. Who has now deceived you or bewitched you? He says, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? This is interesting. He's saying, did you receive the Holy Ghost by doing the works of the law? 
or by hearing by faith. Hearing, you know, hearing has to do with faith because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So what he's saying is that how did he receive the law? Did he receive the law by hearing the word of God by faith and believing the word of God and receiving the Holy Ghost? Is that how you receive the Holy Ghost? Or you received it to the works of the law. I remember years ago, there were some Pentecostals. I, I'll never forget this. A Pentecostal lady in a church, she said, well, I sought the baptism of the Holy Spirit and I couldn't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then one day, an old lady in the church told me, it's because you're wearing this item of jewelry. I think it was a necklace or an earring. And she says, well, I took it off. The moment I took them off, the Holy Ghost came upon me and I got baptized with the Holy Spirit. What she was implying, is that wearing jewelry uh, was the reason she was not getting the Holy Spirit. And when she took the jewelry off, uh, she received the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, that is legalism. That is church legalism. It has nothing to do with the Bible. And that's what he's talking about. You know, he said, did you receive the Spirit by doing this or doing that? Or did you receive the Spirit by hearing the Word of God and believing the Word of God? Then he says, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, that you are now being perfected by the flesh? That means, begun in the Spirit means begun by faith, by receiving Christ by faith. He says, are you so stupid that you began the, your journey of faith by receiving Jesus Christ by faith, receiving the sacrifice of Jesus by faith, and now you are reverting to being sanctified or perfection or being brought to the maturity brought to maturity by keeping the works of the law by the works of the flesh. Now, why does the church still, in spite of this, why do many churches preach legalism so much? It is simple. It is because people are afraid that if people were totally under grace, they would sin. People really believe that. They believe that you preach too much of grace, people will be sinned. But let me just say this. Let me submit to you. Do you know that people in the most legalistic churches sin exactly as much as people who do under grace. Sometimes even more people, you know, I've seen churches that are ultra legalistic, that are legalistic in the way they dress, in the way, you know, what they wear. And I mean, everything is very, very, very legalistic. And they sin just as much as anybody else. Uh, these outward things don't keep people from sinning. What keeps people from sinning is what God does inside them through the work of the Holy Spirit. That is the only thing that can keep us from sinning. Do you understand what I'm saying? The only thing that can keep a man from sin. Sin has nothing to do with your outward appearance or outward religious behavior. Those are things that you just put on and to to satisfy certain demands that men put upon you. But what keeps people from sin is the heart. So let, let me just say this. That is why we who are preachers, we have to preach to people's hearts and not to their flesh. That means as a man of God, as a preacher, when I get behind the pulpit, my preaching should not be uh, about, you know, they used to call them in the old days, clothesline preachers, you know. So we are, I'm not called by God to preach people how to dress, how not to dress. Uh, but although I must say that there, there does come a point because your inner condition is reflected in the way you dress. We must dress in a way that honors God. I mean, you know, if you have women showing too much of skin, 
I think there's something wrong, you know, because the Bible does talk about dressing modestly and in a way that, that, that pleases God. But that is a result of your walk with God. And it's nothing that you dress in a certain way. And that is what makes you acceptable to God. That's what I'm saying. But the thing is that we have to preach to people's hearts because you see things like this. If I preach to people about how they can be strong in the word, strong in the spirit, get to know God, get close to the Lord, be strong in their faith, be strong in the relationship with God. As they grow in the relationship with God, all these outward things would come into line. Believe me, all these outward things would come into line because if we can change people's inward man, it would change their outward behavior. Now, <clears throat> one, another reason we should preach grace Grace builds up people. Grace builds people up because when we are people of people who are full of grace, we see the best in people. And love, grace is the love of God. Love makes us overlook people's faults and sins. Let me repeat this again. Grace builds people up because true biblical grace loves people. It sees the best in people. And it builds people up because we are ready to overlook their faults and help them move onwards and build up their relationship with God. Legalism constantly tears people down through fault finding and judgment and condemnation. That's, these are two, a big striking difference. Grace loves people. Grace sees the best in people. Grace it's because it's loaded with love, love of the love of God. It overlooks people's faults and it helps people onward, looks for the best in people, helps them to grow. While legalism, it is constantly tearing down people, finding fault in them and judging them. And that is displeasing to the Father. Okay, grace is to understand the love of God. Let me read to you Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3 verses 14 to 21. Now it says here, this is how Paul prayed. He says, for this cause, I bow my knees to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the, all, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth and the height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that you might be filled with the fullness of God. Now, let me tell you what this means. Paul says, I bow before the Father, and he says, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is made. Now, remember, he's bringing this element of family. We are the family. God is the Father. We are his family. So he says, uh, he, he, I bow before the Father of my Lord Jesus Christ, okay? And Jesus, this whole family, we are the household of faith. We are not just disciples or servants or followers, but we are his family. Hallelujah. You see, faith is always relational. We are his family and the whole family is named after Jesus. He says, then this is what he prays for us. He said, I pray that God would grant you that according to the riches of his glory, that means his abundance of grace, the riches of his glory, 
to be strengthened with power, with might in your inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, and love here means that you may be rooted and grounded in the love that Jesus has for you. That's the love he wants us to be granted in, not in our love or rooted and grounded in our ability to love, but that we may be rooted and solidly grounded and uh, fully planted with an understanding, a revelation of the love that Jesus has for us so that we may be able to comprehend, we with all the saints of God, the, this great love of Jesus that he has for us in all its breadth and length and depth and height. That means he wants us to know the love of Jesus, not in just three dimensions, but in four dimensions, in length and breadth, the height and the depth, so that we may know the love of Jesus in its fullness. And then he says, verse 19, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So what he's saying is this now, knowledge, knowledge of God, the knowledge uh, of the word of God, you know, uh, knowledge. The Bible puts a lot of premium on knowledge. The knowledge of the word of God gives us the knowledge of God. And it's great. We know the word, we study the word. And, you know, when I was a new believer, there wasn't such an emphasis on that. We didn't have any teaching aids available. But these days we have great teaching books and CDs and DVDs and conferences and TVs. There's great teaching. But he's saying that grow in knowledge, be great, be big in knowledge. But I pray that you may know this love that Jesus has for you and it, in its fullness, in its height and depth and breadth and length and you may be filled with this love and know it in such a way that it even surpasses your knowledge. Normally our, our level of knowledge is up here, but our level, our experiential level of the love of Jesus is down here. That's the way it is. But he says, no, it should be the opposite. Your understanding, your revelation, your comprehension, your experience of the love that Jesus has for you should be so great that it should be even greater than your knowledge. He says, then you will be filled with the fullness of God. And in the Amplified, it says that you may be a body filled with God himself. Wouldn't that be wonderful? So when we are filled with grace, with the understanding of the love that God has for us, we are filled with the fullness of God. Then it says, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that is within us. Unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ through all ages world without end. Amen. So he said, that is when, when we know that love, that is when God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can I can ever imagine or ask or think. That is where the greatest miracles are. When God moves in ways that are beyond our imagination, our understanding, our ability to comprehend or to believe, but God moves not in accordance with our faith, but he moves in accordance with who he is, with how great his love is within us. Let us live to touch that dimension so that we are full of the fullness of God. Hallelujah. Now, let me end this session with the following words. He said, 
And this is what I'm saying. Freedom from the law and being under grace does not mean neglect of godliness. Uh, I tell you why. And the second point I wrote down, living in grace produces holiness. You know what? When we are filled with the fullness of God, when we are full of the love of God, when we are full of Jesus, and you know, we experience such blessings from God and we develop a mindset. And the mindset is, God is so good to me. He has given me and done for me so much more than I could have ever deserved or earned in this life by his grace, because of his mercy and love. He has just, he has just uh, lavished his goodness on me. He has been so good to me. I have, he's given me much more than I could have ever divorced, uh, deserved in this life. Because of that, I will never allow anything in my life that could ever cloud my communion with him. Do you understand what I'm saying? God has been so good to me. He has done so much more for me than I could have ever deserved that I just cannot afford to allow anything in my life that in any way would cast a shadow or cloud my communion with him because I want to live with Jesus like this, you know, with wonderful fellowship with Jesus. And that is what I mean, living in grace produces holiness, produces purity. And that is why we, we don't neglect godliness. We spend time with Jesus, you know, whatever, with word, the word, in prayer, but we spend time with Jesus because our lives are wrapped around Jesus and in serving him, hallelujah. Living under the law, on the other hand, it brings either pride or condemnation because, you know, you're working hard trying to keep the law of Moses and you think I'm doing pretty well. So what happens, it makes you either in pride and then you look at others who are not as good as you are and uh, you compare yourself with them. When you compare yourself with others, you either feel prideful or you feel condemned. So it's never a good thing to live that kind of way in which, you know, you're trying to impress God and you're always comparing yourself with others, but live under the sunshine of God's mercy and God's grace. Praise God. So that was our lesson for today and uh, I'll share more with you tomorrow, but let's pray together. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters who can hear my voice. I thank you, Lord Jesus. You said you bless our food and water, turn every sickness away from us. I ask you to touch them, bless them, Put your hand upon them, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Be glorified in their lives. Let them bear much fruit for your glory and cause them to prosper and abound and be blessed in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you and we'll be seeing you tomorrow.